Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. All right, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Emma Pitts, the CEO and founder of PulseBark. With an education background from the University of Louisville and over a decade of experience in events and production, Emma founded PulseBark in 2015. PulseBark is an award-winning event and film agency in Atlanta, Georgia, producing virtual events, videos, and experiences for brands such as Spanx, the Home Depot Foundation, Chick-fil-A, Inspire Brands, and John C. Maxwell Company. PulseBark believes that the greatest ROI of any content is the memory that it makes. That's why they like to call themselves memory makers. When she's not working on building PulseBark, she works on producing a Broadway musical called Unfinished Dreams. Emma is also a co-founder of a new soon-to-launch software that will help streamline projects for creative teams in the film industry. Interested in giving back in unique ways, PulseBark fully funds video work for Atlanta Children's Shelter. Emma is also involved with the Metro Atlanta Chamber and wants to help grow Atlanta as a hub for young entrepreneurs. And here to share her journey and story with all of you is Emma. Emma, thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for being uh, letting me be here. You almost said Louisville right. I ah, teach everybody, <laughs> you know, it's it's the Southern slur. Uh-huh. Everyone that doesn't live there says Louisville. And you had a right. little bit of the slur, but if you're from there, it's just Louisville. Louisville. Like, yep. Louisville. Just slur the whole thing. The more country, the better. So if you close. ever go there, you got close. got close. I'm proud of you. We have, so my, my wife's family and like extended family is all like in the Ohio State, Kentucky-ish area. And so they've tried to school me on it. And that's why I knew it wasn't Louisville, but I still right. didn't get it quite right. You're, you're close, closer than I've heard. It's good to all be right. here. Man, I'm so glad you're here. We've been, we've been friends for a few years now. I've gotten to admire your work. Um, you've produced, your team has been a part of producing an event I was a part of, as well as uh, just us working together in some, some capacities. And it is no small wonder that you all have made the Inc. 5000 list and that you are continuing to crush it. Uh, And so I'm just so pumped you're here. I'm so glad to be here. You know, I think you have done some consulting for our business, which has been really helpful. And one of the last times you spoke in front of our team and as I was introducing you, I said, it's one of our goals to make the Inc. 5000 list. And I remember that that was almost a year ago to today that I said that. And yep. so it's, it's, I didn't think it was going to be that quick, um, which just goes <laughs> to show you, I need to believe in myself more. That's one of the lessons Hell I'm yeah. learning, but um, you were a big part of that. And um, so we appreciate your belief in us and just your, Hey, Emma, you can do it. And how you've yeah. helped our team grow. That's been a huge part of why we were able to receive that award. Oh man, that's so cool. All right. Let's start with the origin story. How in the world did this company get started? Well, uh, I got fired from my last job and that's always, (laughs) always a good intro uh, to say that's how, that's how this company was born. No, I, um, I, I did get let go of my last job and it was one of those situations where I took a job or I took a promotion without knowing who my boss was going to be, which be, would be my first advice. Never do that. And it was just oil and water, just personalities of, you know, do you value the same thing? Um, You know, things like that. And there was leadership transition. And in those moments, people get let go. And so I got let go. And, um, you know, as we all, a lot of us say, it ended up being the best thing that that ever happened. Um, 
but I was interviewing at a bunch of other places. And I remember I was back home in Louisville and uh, my sister-in-law who is, who was a career woman, phenomenal person, uh, married to my younger brother. She had actually just left her job to be a full-time stay-at-home mom. She had adopted a daughter and had a daughter and phenomenal woman. She just kind of looked at me really matter of fact and said, why wouldn't you do this yourself? And, Hmm. you know, the thought had crossed my mind, but I think it was, what's interesting is she had had a great career and decided that she wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, which is, you know, I'm both, I tell people all the time, but um, her belief in me, I think in that moment of just kind of looking at me and saying, I don't understand why you wouldn't do this. It was her tone of voice. And I really had to ask myself that question. Why wouldn't Mm. I do this? And so I said, you know, let me try and do this. And I had two young kids at the time. And, and as crazy as this might sound, I thought, well, this will give me more flexibility to be a mom. Little did I know (laughs) that that was only true for a couple of months, but in the long run, I knew it was going to give me the most flexibility. I knew that, um, anybody could change a diaper Um, but not everybody could be there when your kids are in fifth grade and get off the bus and, and ask you, you know, the tough emotional questions of Mm, so-and-so used this word. What does that mean? And those are the moments I want to be present for. Mm. So that's how pull spark started. Originally we were called crafted because I said, Hey, the name doesn't matter. Let's figure out who we are and then we'll figure out the name. And we, uh, went around and said, Hey, we have no clients. and a girl that I was friends with, a woman that I was friends with said, I know somebody, you know, in the event space that kind of does this for John Maxwell. Do you know who he is? And I said, yes, I know who John Maxwell is. And she said, yeah, she does something in film and events with him. Would you want to have lunch with her? I said, yes, I would love to have lunch with her. And so she introduced us over text message, a mutual friend. And I said, let's go to lunch. We went to lunch at Panera over off Sugarloaf Parkway in Georgia. And she was talking about this leadership event they had in six months and how it was the second year they were having it. And the first year it went awful. And this event was streamed online. It was live in person and had video content. And she said, it all went really bad last year. We were looking for someone. And I just looked at her and was like, that's, that's exactly what I do. And that's exactly what I'm trying to do. And I said, I have no clients. I have nothing, but I have a lot of good references. And she said, mm. okay, give me a bid for it. And so I gave her a bid just to produce it, like just to be me and show up and call the show, if you know what that means. And she would kind of do everything else on her own. <laughs> and I sent it to her. I had no idea how much to charge because I, I, you know, I didn't know. And so I just sent her a proposal for just me producing it. And she calls me back and she says, no, no, no. Send me a proposal to do the whole thing. <laughs> and I was like, wow. oh, okay, sure. Get off the phone. I'm like, what does that mean? (laughs) How much do I charge? I have no team yet. Um, But anyway, we ended up sitting, submitting a proposal to do the whole thing. Got it. It was our first paycheck was a John Maxwell leadership event. And little did I know that was the beginning of coming up on a decade, you know, in just a year and a half and a long relationship with the John Maxwell team. So I'm assuming that whatever the job was you had or the career you had before starting your own was cultivating these skill sets. Is that what it is? Yes. Ever since I graduated college, you know, I am dyslexic and I know you probably know a lot of dyslexic people and it doesn't feel that uncommon, but I didn't learn how to read until I was in fifth grade. 
I wow. remember my grandfather saying to me, well, you know, if you can't read or ever read that well, you can still have a career. And so there was a lot of the world as very young didn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, imagine your fifth graders still not knowing, you know, how to read the book, The Polar Express or something like that. I was, I'm severely dyslexic. And, but my dad at a very young age was very intentional with me. He took me to museums. He took me, I saw my first Broadway play when I was, I think six or seven. I remember it was Starlight Express and they all come out on roller skates and I'm like, what is this? You know? (laughs) And so he just really, um, surrounded me with the visual arts. And so when I graduated college, my first job was producing a radio show. And a little bit like a podcast, we didn't have podcasts then, uh, but it was producing a radio show and my path just kind of always followed the visual arts. I didn't really understand a lot of it until I got the job before Full Spark. I worked in a nonprofit that did a lot of events, um, a lot of live stuff, a lot of film work and really cut my teeth there and learned a lot. And when I was in that job, I was like, this is, this is what I was born to do. Mm. I can read now all is well. <laughs> I'm an avid reader, uh, but just, you know, had to have the Orton Gillingham training for a long time. And so, yeah, my previous job really did set me up to do this job well. Well, from what I can tell, you grew up in an interesting time in human history where mm-hmm. we were kind of aware of dyslexic, but not really aware, not enough that like you could get help early on and know what's going on and what was that experience like? Like it was a thing, but not really a thing. And that must be tough. Not to compare myself to Mark Zuckerberg, but I will at this moment. Come on, let's go. <laughs> Nothing like him, I'm sure. But, you know, the thing that about some of these tech companies that they were in the right place at the right time. And I happened to be at the right place in the right time. And going back to Louisville, what was interesting about that city, and you would think, gosh, of all places, Louisville had one of the top schools in the country for dyslexia. Hmm. You had to have dyslexia to go to DePaul um, Academy. And it was just so happened to be 20 minutes from our house. And I got diagnosed with dyslexia in first grade. And so went there from first to seventh grade. Wow. And you can imagine the the sacrifice. We didn't have a lot of money that my parents made. I mean, it is, it was not cheap. All my siblings, I come from four, went to public school. Um, but the the interesting thing about dyslexia is dyslexia. The the way that they teach you is through this program called Orton Gillingham, and it's very visual and it's very touch and feel um, way to learn. So hmm. when you're learning how this, I mean, to people who I don't know, some people may think this is crazy. But when you're learning how to spell a word that doesn't make sense and follow the the rules, they give you a memory board and you literally spell the word out loud and rub your hands on like a rough surface because Hmm. it's the sensory that makes an impact. It's the sensory that makes a memory, which is essentially what I do for a living now. And it's like you said in the intro, we're memory makers. It's like we are trying to create experiences that people touch, feel, see, smell, that they walk away. And the first thing they say is, do you remember when? Because mm. when they say like every great moment in our life, when we get around our friends, family, our, our partner in life, and we're reminiscing over a bottle of wine, it's like, do you, do you remember when Vera was born? That's my daughter. Like, do you remember when Georgia won the national championship? Or do you remember when we got our first office space? Like all of our good memories are built around that, which is ultimately mm. my life mission to create moments 
and experiences where people look at it and say, do you remember when? And I have so many of those as a childhood being in the right place at the right time with a father like I had and an opportunity and a privilege to go to a school, especially for me. And those two things uniquely combined really set me up for where I am. So I would say Mark Zuckerberg was just in the right place at the right time. And so was I, and it was a privilege. And I wish people, I wish every person with dyslexia had access to what I had access to. Yeah. It's really neat just to see the way that a, you know, a perceived weakness in a sense turned into a really incredible strength, Mm -hmm. you know, and I want you to teach maybe us just a little bit about like, again, when I've been a part of the events you have done, and I've even heard you all planning, it's just next level. Like mm-hmm. from being a speaker who was going through the process to watching the the way you guys created an atmosphere and engagement, like it's just next level. And so I'm just curious, like, what do you think is some of the ingredients to making these memories? You know, if we take it like in the yeah. event space and the the company culture and that kind of thing, like, how do you think about creating those memories? Well, I'll, I'll kind of go back to where I left off before of when I started the company, I, I did think to myself, and I think every entrepreneur has to answer this question, what is going to make us different and what problem are we solving in the market? And we hear those two questions all the time. I don't know that the world or Atlanta needed another creative agency, but I know that they didn't have one like ours for that mm-hmm. very reason of the process that we have to go about creating it. Uh, we created very early on, there was just this methodology that was in my brain that when I would watch Super Bowl commercials or I would watch movies or, you know, Steven Spielberg films, there was like six ingredients that I saw in everything. And I was like, if we can take that idea, these six ingredients that, and, and put a methodology around it and apply that to everything, people can actually be more creative. The reason that people, the problem I was trying to solve is that is two things when I started PulseSpark. The first being is that creative is subjective, right? You like blue, I like, you know, red or whatever. You like baseball, I like bowling or, you know, whatever. It's so subjective. You like that music, I like this music. So bringing a group of creatives together, you needed a system and a process to help people be more creative. Um, and then the second problem I was trying to solve is people hate, hated working with creative agencies because we're such feelers Yes. and we go and we film a commercial or a brand film and we have this gorgeous shot of like a child hitting the baseball bat and it's like a home run and the sun is behind it, but it has nothing to do with what the actual storyline is about, but it's a beautiful shot and we want to put it in the edit. Yeah, and then the client yeah. gets frustrated because we're, we fight for what's beautiful, but not necessarily always like what is the best story to tell. So those are the two problems I was trying to solve, mm. which were both answered by our storytelling methodology, which is how we create great memories. And essentially the six ingredients, we start with a subconscious one-liner. Hey, what is the sentence that we want people to walk away with? And for me, I'm like, that's not a tagline. What is the subconscious thing that like, If Drew watches this video, what do I want him thinking in the back of his brain that he Mm. is then going to, because what you're thinking in the back of your brain, what you take away is what you're going to repeat to other people. So I need to define first what I want you to think when you watch it. And then I can create from there. 
So the subconscious one-liner. And then the other thing that we, that we look at is like, what is the common emotion? And I learned this from my last job. Andy Stanley talks about this is the, we're all different, different races, different religions, political views. The one thing that all of humanity has in common is emotions. We all feel yeah. emotions. We all know what it feels like to be sad, to be happy. So what it, it, and emotions are level playing field, right? If we're talking about any controversial subject, it's like, if I can tap into the emotion that we have both felt before, then I can find common ground. Hmm. And it's all about finding common ground. So we start everything with the common emotion. Hey, we want everyone in the room to feel hope. Everyone knows what it feels like to feel hope. We want everyone in the room to remember a moment when they were sad alone, right? And then we want them to feel, have a moment where they remember where they were happy and we're taking them on an emotive journey. And then we have some other ones that, you know, I won't go into, but when you give a team and a process, a methodology and say, Hey, go play with these six ingredients. It's amazing. The ideas that you can come up with. And it's amazing how you can get 12 creative people who all yeah. have different backgrounds and perspectives on the world can land on an idea that they all love. And I think that's one of the best parts about my job. Well, man. Okay. So I want to dive into those two just a little bit. And I'm glad you saved the other four. Okay. I'm like, Hey, you don't want to give away all your secret sauce. But <laughs> totally. Those two are, are fantastic because what I've experienced as kind of a creative person is too much uh, blank canvas, if you will, mm -hmm. too much freedom actually can create a weird block to creativity. Right. You know, the kind of analysis paralysis where you're just like, Right. I don't, I could go a million places. What do you mean? Right. Right. And so for you to have some kind of localization to like, let's play with this idea. We want them walking away with this thought and this emotion. It's, it's like one of those weird things that you, that kind of turns all the creativity on. Right. 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 Exactly. We did a, um, story video for the Home Depot foundation. They work with veterans and, uh, they, they help build homes and lives for veterans. And, I do not like it when people make veterans look like a um, victimized story and not a hero. Yeah. I don't like it when people make veterans look like um, like they come out of the gate in video world showing all their disabilities. I, I do not like that because then you just see that person for their disabilities, right? So they were doing this fundraising event that their CEO was speaking at. And they said, we want to tell people what we do for veterans. Let's do a story video. And they gave me six stories of veterans to choose from. And I said, okay, this room, and you have to play to your audience is a lot of CEOs. And so unfortunately it's going to be mostly men. We're going to get mm. some more females in there, but it's going to be mostly men. How do I get every man in the room going back to that common emotion, shaking his head and being like, that guy's a badass. I want to be like that guy. How do I get every, because every man can relate to that. Every man, it, whether they admit it or not, wants to be friends or see another man and be like, I want to be like that guy. Like yeah. we all need it. We all need someone to look up to, right? Men and women. Was that the subconscious one-liner? That was the common emotion. As I said, I knew when I opened the video, I wanted every man nodding their head being like, that guy's a badass. I want to be like him. Yeah. Instead of being like, oh man, he doesn't have any legs. But right. like. I wanted every guy to relate to him. So remember, it's that common emotion of people need to see themselves in the story. So that common emotion is common ground. I am like that guy. So when I was reading the stories, there was this, there was this man that stood out to me and his name was Brandon, double amputee from war in Afghanistan, but he was a skier. And immediately I was like, I've got the whole video in my head. We're going to open with him skiing. 
but we're not going to reveal that he's a double amputee until halfway through the video. Yeah. Because again, I want everybody looking at him being like, I like that guy. I want to be like that guy, you know? And so that's what we did. And my subconscious one-liner that I wanted people to walk away with is I wanted them to say, oh, the Home Depot makes the lives of veterans better. They don't just build homes. They make their life better. So what was interesting about Brandon is his home actually wasn't built yet. It was just a blank. It was just a, a lot at that point. And I somehow convinced them, hey, we don't need to show the brand new home that you're building this guy. We can tell your story without that. And we did. And to this day, it's one of their most successful videos that they still go back to. And they're like, we're actually shooting two more this year. They're like, Emma, we want it just like Brandon's story. And I'm like, okay. Wow. But we opened the whole video with him skiing and he just, you know, it's cut like a GoPro video of someone down a mountain and, but you don't reveal that he's a double amputee to later. Cause I'm like, that's not how he defines himself. Even though yeah. he's getting a home because he's disabled and home default is great. That's not how Brandon looks at himself. Brandon looks at himself as a dad, you know, who takes care of his two daughters and a skier who loves to ski with his family and someone who's just trying to live his life. And so that common emotion of let's portray him that way where everybody in the room has something to identify with him about. So that's an example Man. of how we implemented that. It's so interesting because, you know, on paper, you all, like we mentioned, an event company, you know, producer, that type of thing, but like really you're storytellers. Yes, totally. Yes. hundred percent. At the end of the day, you're, you're fantastic storytellers that the medium you use is the event or the video or the live thing you're doing. But what seems to set you apart is I can already tell, like, you're not just trying to execute on the A, B's and C's. You're like, what's the story? And why would we care about that story? And how do we most beautifully or efficiently uh, portray that story? Am I right about that? That's totally true. And I think storytellers was such a buzzword for a while that I was like, mm -hmm. we can't use that in any of our marketing. Uh, but really, at the end of the day, that's what we are. We tell people we're creative agency for content, whether it's on screen or on stage. Like we know how to tell that story, whether it's on stage or on screen. And those are mm. the most of the two ways, um, you know, that we do that. But for sure, storytelling. On the business side, what I've seen in my own life and with many other creatives is it's actually difficult to know how to do the business side of it. That Like you mm -hmm. could be the best Art, artist in the room. You could be the best storyteller. Mm -hmm. but you don't have a clue how to find a client or negotiate a contract or develop a scale plan or whatever. Like, was that difficult for you? Or did you kind of sit on that line where it was actually a pretty easy to flex back and forth? Well, I think that's the reason number two, I wanted to start the business is goes back to that. People hate working with creative agencies because they don't know how to be business people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, I work with a lot of freelancers, a lot of directors, a lot of DPs, and I, I'm very passionate about mentoring creatives on how to do business. And I really think that the combination of that skill set is the reason that PoolSpark has been so successful, uh, is is I looked in the market and did see there's a lot of creative agencies out there, but they don't know how to do business well. I'll go back to, again, I was very fortunate who had a father who really invested in me and he was a dentist. So he owned his own practice and he was very intentional with me. And I come of one of four siblings and he, he made me do a lot of things that didn't make my siblings do, but he made me work in his office in the summers. Hmm. And he, I remember he, he, he didn't use any computer or digital appointment book, 
So we'd have a photocopy of his appointments that day and he would go through every single person and say, okay, Mrs. Robinson's coming in. I remember this. And he said, she lost her husband about six months ago. His name was Frank. When you go get her and bring her back to the chair, you need to go up there and you'd be like, Mrs. Robinson, my father has told me so much about Frank. Now he, you know, he was a doctor, right? And he was like, that will make her feel loved and valued that you know her name. And then I would sit in his office at the end of the day and he would literally make me calculate how much money he owed me. And he would show me how he was writing it in his book. And he, and he was just very intentional about, about finances. Um, I also got some really good advice along the way of finances should be the very last thing that you hand off in a business. And I think a lot of creative agencies don't know how to, how to manage their finances. They don't know how to manage the intake and output of cash or their, or their pass through cash, right? We have a lot of what I call pass through cash. When, when we collect $50,000, we're paying out $25,000 or whatever that amount is that's pass through cash. And so knowing down to the penny every single day about your, you know, what you're bringing in your pass through cash and then what you're actually going to keep for your contribution margin. These are all terms that I've used from different books, but I'm very passionate about finances. I'm very passionate about doing finances well, honoring people well and doing the right thing. And it gives me margin to be able to say yes to the right things. So I think the combination of creative and finance due to a lot from how my dad raised me and just most of Flexix aren't good with money and I couldn't read, but I was, I was good with math. And so it mm. just ended up helping me, I think. But there's a couple books I would recommend. And there's two books I tell everybody to read. It's Simple Numbers. I don't know if you've had people talk about that book before. No. Uh-uh. Simple Numbers, if you're an entrepreneur, should be the number one book that you read. And then combine that with Profit First. There's a few things in Profit First I don't agree with, but the idea of the different accounts I agree with, but simple numbers. I read that book about three years into the business and not only doubled our sales, but doubled my personal income. And so those are the two books that I tell people to read when it comes to finances. And I said, just do what those two books do and you'll be fine. I'm getting my pen out to write those down. (laughs) Simple numbers. I like that. And if you can read that book before you actually start, man, it'll save you a lot of headache. Mm. What's the big, not to, not that you have to teach the book, but like, why, why that book? I mean, you, you gave me a great case for finance, but like, what's right. the big proposition, I guess, that, that you really resonate with? They define profit different than any other book I've read in simple numbers. The term mm-hmm. contribution margin comes from that book. And so... Mm-hmm. We, what I did after I read that book as I set up all of my budget sheets, because we're, we're project-based business. We're not, we have a few retainers, but most of the time we're project-based. So our income is not necessarily like traditional marketing or consulting companies where it's retainer. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit, it can be a little bit unpredictable sometimes because a lot of times people are not planning what videos they're doing next year, right? I mean, they are a little bit, but they're not calling us two years out saying, I'm going to need this amount of video work next year. I mean, I'm planning on a certain amount, but it could go up or down. Um, And so that makes hiring really difficult too, when you're not on retainer of like, if somebody has one project that's 250,000, it's like, do you go hire for that in the hopes that they're going to do it again, you know, or not, but that's a whole other subject. But the big idea on simple numbers is contribution margin. When you look at, let's say you have $10 coming in, and it's going to cost, you know, $5 to, you know, make the product have $5 left over. 
you know, people are like, oh, put, you know, I would look at that as like, okay, I have $5 profit. I'll put a little bit in my profit account, like profit first says, I'll put a little bit in my tax account, like profit first says. And then what's left over is necessarily profit. And for me, I was, and what that book says is I'm like, no, what's left over is contribution margin. Contribution margin goes into your checking account, which is what you use to run the business. Hmm. Um, and so it's all about your contribution levels and what they talk about in simple numbers is like this year, we're going to close at between five and 6 million. And what they talk about in that is like, Hey, you have to find the right, like for your industry, what is that right balance of sales versus income? Cause you know, and people understand this, of like, I could go out and potentially sell 30 million, but would my income be less than if it was 20 million, you know? And so it talks about your contribution margin, what is actually going into your checking about figuring out what percentages those should be. And it it has a formula that you follow. And I'm telling you, when I implemented that, we doubled everything. And I think it was a big reason we won the Inc. 5000 list. Like there was not just a formula to how we were doing creative, but a formula for how I was running the finances. And I think we we were able to mirror those two. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you see all the time, like really successful, quote unquote, successful businesses that have giant holes in the ship that, you know, I think we work was a good example where it's like, Hey, yeah. we made, we made 12 billion. And it's like, yeah, but we spent yeah. 13 billion, right. you know, <laughs> like that, right. that's not really working. And it's, right. you know, at least for me, this is where my wife has gotten frustrated at me and I've, I've gotten better over the years, but still, I don't like that side of things. I, you know, so I, <laughs> I end up kind of having like an eyes closed hit and hope, like let's just, and that's why my business partner, Jordan is such a great tag team with me because he will right. look at it and he will run the finances and that kind of stuff. And I'm more like, let's just keep going and hope it works out, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's just interesting. I love that you're giving like practical things that if a creative person is listening to this or a freelance yeah. or whatever, like go check out these books. Right. Right. Totally. Yeah. So on the, what I'm also curious about is like on the sales side, how do you, how do you, for your business, like how, how do you guys get sales? Is it outbound? Is it relationship mostly network organic? Like what does that look like to grow your business? Well, I need a biz dev person. So if anyone's listening, call me. There you um, go. But it's But you went from different. one person, no clients to what'd you say? Yeah. Five or 6 million in revenue yeah. this year? Yeah. All right. How the hell did you it's do that? Sales. Uh, word of mouth. Um, Mm. one of our core values at full spark is honor. And I tell our team, the opposite of honor is treating someone like common and we don't want to do that. And if we don't do that to our clients, we will grow. And Mm. I a hundred percent believe that, you know, the thing about our business, especially in event production world is the sales cycle is very long because people don't understand AV and they, if they, they typically are with the same AV partner for five, 10, 20 years. And so it's very hard to get people to switch because they're so scared of it growing wrong. Cause it's such mm. a, you think you get, I'm going to put 7,000 people in the room and I'm going to trust you with it. And I don't know you. So it's a hundred percent about relationships. People do business with people they want to be friends with. Like, you know, it's like, we don't have to be friends, but yeah, they want to be, they want to trust. And, and I tell people, our account directors, when people think of Fullspark, they're going to think of your name. Like we have six account directors who manage our relationships. And I was like, their experience with Fullspark is you, like you are the face of it. Um, and so they're bringing me leads by conversations, you know, that they have, um, it is, it's all word of mouth. We landed one of our biggest deals for 2023. We're doing a roadshow 
um, for Chick-fil-A. We're doing 30 events. And it came through a conversation two people were having. And they said, hey, we're looking for somebody to do this. And the person was like, oh, you need to call PoolSpark. And um, so reputation to me is the biggest, and reputation for how you treat people is the biggest form of business development that we have. And it's how our entire company has grown. Do you People imagine- don't really cold call in the event, you know, AB mm-hmm. space. There's trade shows and that's great. We've been to a few, but it's reputation. Do you imagine it staying that way or do you imagine bringing in an, a different element into it that is a little more uh, strategic or intentional on your side versus kind of waiting for that reputation to pay off and come to you? That's a great question. I think with how fast we've grown, there are different seasons where in the season I'm in now, I'm really great with the pace that we're in. Mm. Um, That, you know, as you grow, there are clients that we will outgrow, not because we want to, but we will. And that's just the nature of it. Um, But we should be bringing on the right kind of clients. Mm. Um, And so there, I do think we need a business biz dev person. That's usually, you know, in the tech world, that's one you, you hire a CTO and a biz dev person first, you know, I did so much of that. And I, that's one of the hats that I still wear, you know, as the owner, you wear all the hats till you slowly hire them off. And so, um, finance and biz dev is the hat that I still wear. So I'm looking to hand off the biz dev hat next of even when we do get a lead, who's talking to that person, who's telling them who we are. I do not want to build a business that's built around Emma Pitts. I want to build a legacy brand like Nike, like things like that. Like a lot of creative agencies are built around a person and ours needs to be built around a team. Mm. Um, And we need to be hired for how we think, not for how we do. Mm. And so hiring a biz dev person is is the next strategic decision for me to make sure we're building a team of people and it's not built around a person. Well, even even that changes like... At the beginning, I, I actually think oftentimes, depending on the industry you're in, oftentimes it's easiest to get initial success if it is built around a person because right. that person can just carry the the trust right. and the likability and the the magic of walking into a room and people buying into what you're doing, right? But at some point, it becomes a huge either choke point, like where the, it constricts growth, and it also becomes a vulnerability, Like we see this all the time, like whether it's a sickness or Mm -hmm. a scandal or whatever, Mm -hmm. like you can cut a whole thing out just because it was all on one person. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. You can, I could lose everything, you know, tomorrow. And people have asked me, I'm like, I have a plan. Like if I were to go in the hospital tomorrow, I have a plan. Like I have, Mm. I have someone that will step in and the team will not skip a beat, you know? Um, but you have to have a plan for those. Um, and you have to have a plan to step out of the work and it's not good for the team. Like if I want to recruit the right talent, they want to lead it. Yeah. You know, they don't want to take orders from me. They want to lead it. They want it. their fingerprints on it. Yeah. I had someone tell me yesterday, I was like, they're new. And I said, I-, I need to be a student of you. This is your project. How do you want to lead it? And they just looked at me and they were like, I love that you're asking that. And I'm like, of course, like this, this is your thing. I'm just giving you the place and the tools and the opportunity to do it. That's my job. And, and, and my job is to prevent roadblocks or solve the roadblocks. Like that's my main role now. Um, What's been the least natural and maybe the, just the most difficult for you personality wise or whatever in in leading the business? uh, I mean, it's always people related. Uh, 
it's the internal always, management it, side. It, yeah, it's always it's always people related. Um, learning how to hire the right people. You know, it took me several years to figure that out. Um, knowing when to hire people. Um, I've always been too late. That's mm. the lesson that I've learned. And so we're, we're hiring up a lot right now. Um, and, you know, everyone will tell you that, oh, find the people you need before you need them. And I'm like, well, that's so easy to say, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but what we do is so unique and you have to have an area of expertise. Um, but I am finding there are people that can do it. We, we've hired 10 people this year and they're all phenomenal. They're all mm. just, we just are like looking around like, oh my gosh, we have the best people. Um, but I think too, you know, we're, we're 18 people. It's not quite big enough for an HR person. We have an HR consultant and I think that was a smart decision that we brought on. Um, but I think just that, uh, learning that everybody has value and I'm, I'm a fast mover. I make quick decisions. I'm a fixer. If I see a problem, I'm going to fix it right away. And I think the biggest thing I've had to learn in my personal leadership is just to slow down and allow people time to catch up. And that's yeah. okay. Like yeah. it can go another day without solving the problem. Hmm. Um, and we're not going to fail. The business isn't going to die because of that. So oftentimes I'm telling myself to slow down. That's people. really wise. Yeah. People are slow, man. Like yeah. <laughs> if, hey, we're slow in terms of change. We're slow in terms yeah. of like learning a new skill. And yeah. what you often find is the need to slow down in order to speed up. Right. But when we're so bent on speeding up, it slows everything down. It's like, that's right. That actually took way longer than it had to be because I rushed it with that person. Exactly. Does that make sense? Oh, yes. A hundred percent. Or I didn't spend enough time with them to, exactly. to bring Which them up to slow. the right place. Right. Which feels slow to like have to get to know you right. and, hey, what questions do you have? And your brain's right. going, I got 10 other things I should be doing right now. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I was on the phone with um, John Maxwell has become a personal mentor of mine. And I was on the phone with him about five months ago. And it was, you know, like I said, we've hired about 10 people this year. So it was about three months into, I think, the eighth person starting. And it was just massive amounts of slowing down and I could feel myself getting frustrated. And he said something to me on the phone that, that I hesitate a little bit to share because it sounds very self-serving and very arrogant. Um, but I will share the sentiment of it is that he said, well, what he said was, Emma, if people could do what you do on your team, they would be the CEO. Mm. They would start their own business. You have to stop comparing how fast they can go to what you're doing and compare them to where you want someone in that position to be. Wow. And I think that that was very freeing for me. And it sounds very arrogant to sound like, oh, well, I'm comparing them to me. And I wasn't necessarily doing that, but I just have been doing this business for eight years and I know yeah. every client inside and out. And so I can do it very quickly and I can make decisions very quickly. And I was like, well, why can't you do it that quick? You know, and it was just that slow down. What should they be able to do? What value are they providing today? And they shouldn't be able to do it as fast as me because I've been doing this for eight years. And it's yeah. also when you're the CEO, you see every picture of the business. I see the finances. I see where every team member is. I can make decisions quicker because I see everything, right? Like, my team can't see all the finances. They can see some of them, but they can't go in and say, yeah, we can do that as quickly as I can. They have to pause, look at a budget sheet, 
ask somebody a couple questions. And so they can't do it as fast, right? Mm. And so I think that that was really, really wise advice, especially to a company or any company that's on the list. When you're growing that fast, you see everything and people aren't going to move as fast as you, right? So that was a big lesson. That's huge. I mean, I, I've seen this even with my kids where you just don't, it's not necessarily ego. I'm sure there's ego in there, but like it feels just human that your default is to see the world through your lens, meaning like mm -hmm. everybody must think this way or feel this way or have this drive or mm -hmm. hate this thing. Right. And you end up steering people to try to be like you, like, come on, get it. This is how I do it. Yeah. This is the pace I do it. Yeah. Versus how do you do it? And right. or maybe better than in business, it's too hard. You can't really, I know it sounds sexy to like tailor everything to the person's individual personality, but like, that's too hard. And the business wouldn't right. go anywhere if you had to do that. But you could decide what's that role, like, right. like John was saying, what does it need? What does growth look inside of it? Right. And how do I help that person have that versus right. the constant comparison of like, well, this is how I would do it. And this is exactly you know, that type of thing. And that's being inclusive to all personalities and people, people's way of doing things, right? Yes. They don't have to do it the same way I did it. They don't have to do it at the same speed, but can we get a similar result or something close to it? Is the customer mm -hmm. happy, right? Are we following our storytelling methodology process? Um, and is the team, are people honored in the process? So yeah. that was a big lesson. Yeah, we've talked about it. I think maybe we even talked about this with your group, but like just the thing I've always, it's made, it's not like a, a perfect definition or, or analogy, but it's just helped me is I have two sisters. And so it's been wild to see like raised by the same parents, raised with the same values, yeah. but depending on the personality, they have expressed it very differently in the world, you know? Yeah. And so there's harmony when two things are happening when we are expressing our family values that like when someone strays off of that, you feel it. You're like, mm -hmm. dude, we were raised to be integrous. That's not integrous or right. whatever. Right. And so the values are what we have in common, but the expression is the freedom that you have to be an individual. Right. right. And so I think as a company, that's what we, we have sometimes struggle to find language for is like, no, what I care about is that we're expressing the values, caring for the, right. caring for the customer, going above and beyond, whatever those things are, but you should feel free to express it based on your personality. And as long as we're doing that, there's harmony in that. Does that make sense? Right. Yes. And I don't have anything to add to that, but this is me typing everything you just said to share in the team <laughs> meeting on Monday. Yeah. As always when I'm around you, I'm like, can you repeat all that really quick? Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's so difficult because sometimes we don't have the language for why that pissed me off. Right. Or why someone feels stifled. And it's like, well, is it last name or first name that's the issue here? Right. Last name is PulseSpark. That's right. that's like, hey, we want to have a similar legacy in the world. We want to espouse right. these virtues and values. But first name is, are you letting me be me? Are you trying to right. make my sister like my dad or make me like that's my good. sister? Like, all right, yeah. we want both of those really well that you would say, yeah, that's a McClure. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a pits out in the world, but that's unique yeah. because that's Emma yeah. or that's her daughter. And they're very different, yeah. right? Yeah, that's good. Uh, on the same idea of personality, I'm just curious to know you even a little better. What at this stage lights you up the most? Like what, you know, again, personalities are going to have like, we're going to kind of go against the grain in certain things and it kind of drains us of energy. And then we're going to go like with the grain and other things like mm -hmm. it just gives us energy. Like what are the things that when your calendar is full of, you're like, dang, that gives me a lot of energy. <laughs> it's so funny because Morgan, my assistant looked at me, you're going to die. 
at the meeting this week. And she said, Emma, you have 33 meetings this week. Oh. And I was like, I don't know if we're allowed to cuss on this podcast. Sure you can. I, I do like, Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not good. And she was like, I'm going to send you an email at the end of the week and be like, this is what you accomplished. And, she, and I was like, yeah. And, you know, we're just in a season where we're doing so much vision casting because we have so many new people in training mm. that there's a lot needed because I just have been so involved with the doing of the work and I'm stepping out of the doing completely. And so there's this season of transfer of knowledge where I'm in a lot of meetings because I'm like, let me transfer my knowledge in this meeting so you can take mm. it and run with it. Um, and so that is draining for me that I'm not a teacher. Um, and, and this, the other thing John Maxwell told me is he said, uh, if you can't tell, he's had a big influence on my leadership, but he said, Emma, as you're, well should. yeah, he said your problem is the same problem as mine. This is, he said, this is, this is why I was such a bad hire of people. He said, you believe in people too much. And he said, hmm. not too much from a, like, they're not capable but he said, and he talks about this a lot in his teaching. He said, you're an A player. And he said, you look at C players when you interview them and you're like, I can make them an A player. Yeah, and he said, yeah. which is great. And he's like, you believe in them and you can, but an A player should never train a C player. A B player should train a C player, but a C player needs to be exposed to an A player to know what their potential is. Interesting. And what I was doing was hiring C players and trying to train them. You yeah. know what I mean? And then yeah. I would get frustrated. There's too and much of a context it, gap. It, yeah, it's too much. It's the same reason of like, I should not train our assistant editor. I should work with like our senior editor and develop them more. So that really, it, it drains me to train. Um, but it, what really... Um, lights me up like you at the beginning of the call I was like my team asked me if I'd had caffeine today because I gave up caffeine a couple of years ago and I was like no but I'm doing today the things that I love to do that light me up I came in this morning and I had I was going for a walk the other day and that's what I would encourage other people to do I just started walking like over the last year which sounds so dumb but I'm like it just clears your Huge. mind yes. so much and I was stumped about this um uh that I got, essentially, I was like stumped on this creative project. And when I was going on the walk, I was like, I know exactly what the opener should be. Now I know exactly what the promo video should be. Now I know what the artwork should be. It was like when I creatively can see the whole project and how mm. like the, the, the thing holistically and direct the team, hey, this is like what it should be holistically and have a very clear vision. I'm at my best. And, and that, that means that what I'm doing is I'm I know what the client is asking for and now I know what to give them and I I have enough to give the team to go all be A players on it. Does that make sense? So it's like Yeah. They they were like looking at each of those pieces individually. What should the artwork be? What should the promo video like and what should the opener be? And I was like, "No, no, no. This is the idea for all three. And I came in and had a meeting with them in a matter of like 10 minutes. They were all like, "We get it." And then everybody was like, "Yes, and yes, and yes, and okay, we can take it and run with it." And then I was on the phone with the client and our team was pitching it to her and I was watching it and the team, and she's like, I love it. And I'm like, yes. All right. Like I feel confident in my team to accomplish it. The client loves it. I can move on to the next thing. So that's like one, one of the things that like, I get really excited when we have an idea that's a win for everyone. Our team is excited about it. The client's excited about it. 
I also love closing deals. Like I, mm. I, the business development side of thing, I don't like finding new relationships, but I love the chase of the close, which sounds interesting. <laughs> so weird. But for me, it's a creative challenge because for us, creative ideas sell and we're, we're bidding on a big RFP for a national, a, a different national food chain. And they want us to do like pitch a creative idea for it. And it's due on December 15th. And I'm like, I have so much energy about this. And it's a little bit uncompetitive. And I think that Spark is the best creative agency in North America. So I'm like, why wouldn't they choose us, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but I also want to prove it to them, you know? And so that really lights me up. But I don't like the, once we get it started, I like the first 30 days to like set up the project well, but I don't like maintaining it. Yes. Um, but I've got a lot of people who, who love consistency and love a consistent client on the team. And that is their gifting. I love to switch around. As you can tell on this podcast, I've talked about 20 different things. And so even sometimes my team will be like, are we talking about this other thing now? And I'm like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so I love the chase. I love the, wow. I love once we get introduced, I, and that's probably why I like the business side. I like to be chosen. That's my like selfish thing. I think we're the best. And I think to myself, I wonder, like, I, I cannot believe they did not choose us. And it's a little <laughs> bit arrogant. It is. <laughs> no, it's just confident. But I get my feelings hurt when they don't. <laughs> yeah. So I'm also sensitive. But yeah, yeah. Anyway, isn't that weird though? Like, I I want to just highlight this for a second that you can be simultaneously very confident in life and business and also insecure. Like a hundred percent. When they don't choose us, I'm devastated, and I really want to know why. That is, the, I always email or call yeah. people and say, "Hey, I would love your feedback. I would yeah. love to know what." you know, we can do better. And I think asking that question is really important. And nine times out of 10, tell, people tell you exactly what it is. Hmm. But I've learned, this is my number one like sales thing that I tell people. I was like, there's one question you should always ask everyone in sales. You should always ask them, hey, what will make this a yes for you today? And they will tell you exactly what hurdle you have to cross. And sometimes wow. it's, sometimes we'll, they'll say, well, it's a yes for me, but you know, my Tom or my, uh, my boss, Tom, like I have to, I have to get him on board. Great. Can I meet with Tom? And then it lets you know a, who the decision maker is, or they're like, you know, it'll be a yes if it's under a hundred thousand dollars. I'm like, great. Let me pitch you an idea that can fit into that, you know? Um, but most of the time people will tell you what it is. And so then you know what to give them. Yeah. So that's, that's super helpful. I've actually not heard it said that way. I've heard other people try to get to that answer. But I really like how simple that is. What would make this yes. a yes today? What would make that, this a yes today? What does it take to get a yes? And they'll yeah. tell you the hurdle. Huh. They'll tell you the hurdle. Yeah, I still, I'm still just fascinated. At, like, cause you, you even mentioned earlier, like, wow, I sometimes still need to hear, uh, you know, you can do this, right? Like the <laughs> fact that you, you did the Inc. 5000 faster yeah. than you even imagined. And I just find that refreshing that we can be both confident and still needing confidence at the same time because the yeah. confidence is the strength. It's the, it's how you got to right. where you are. The lack right. of confidence is probably why you're still where you are. That <laughs> yeah. there, there's still some more, like it hasn't sunk in yet. You yeah, know, like my friend, my friend put it best. I had like a client give me, I don't remember what the situation was. It was like, maybe it was a no. I don't know if it was a no, we didn't get a deal or whatever. And I was Marco polling with my, my best friends and I was like, guys, I just can't shake this. Like, really, yeah. Yeah. really, you guys just replaying it again in my head. And my friend said, 
oh, you're feeling like a little boy who just got his hand slapped by his dad. And <laughs> oh. I was like, oh, that's exactly how I feel. Like yeah. 10 minutes ago before that email, I felt like an adult. I felt strong yeah. and I felt capable. Yeah. Whatever that moment was made me feel like this insecure little boy. They're like, totally. I did something wrong. Am I not enough? You know? And I'm like, there's still a part of me. It's got to grow the hell up. <laughs> you totally. know? It's just interesting to I me. Totally like little Emma Pitts every now and then is going to come yes. out and, and like, she still doesn't believe in herself. Like what's going on? Yes. I, I, it, it, for me, I think it's, it's, if your analogy is a little boy, he's getting his hand slapped. I think for me, it's like, but I can read now. Yes. <laughs> it's like, I know I couldn't do that for a long time, but I could, like, literally that, that's what it is. We had someone who emailed us and we did a discovery call with them. And I felt like I nailed the call. Like I was like, Oh, that went so well. And they were like, I followed up and they're like, Hey, we're, we really want to do it, but we're going to put it off till Q3. I'm like, great. And, uh, it was like a month into Q3 and I thought, Oh, I need to follow up with them, you know? And which is also why I need a biz dev person. Yeah. And I just happened to be on LinkedIn later that day and saw them doing, they had posted videos literally that morning of them doing a video shoot. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Hot you all know, over. but it's the, like, I wonder why we didn't get chosen, but then the, like, uh, I need to know feedback, you know, and sometimes it's the price. Sometimes it's why well, the buddy that, you know, does it and, and it's, it's nothing, you know, personal, but, um, the guessing it, is it, the worst a, part because you can, you just, you fill in the gaps with your own story. And that's my biggest pet peeve. I'm like, I can handle a no. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a woman. I can handle a no. Just tell me no. Um, and And you know, that's, and yeah, tell, but tell me, you know, and that's, that is, I will say my biggest pet peeve in business, um, is, is that, and it's only happened a couple of times. We've been pretty successful, but that is my biggest probably pet peeve. I'm like, well, if you're going to do that, it's probably not a good fit values wise anyway. You know, the ghosting Um, is the worst part. Like mm -hmm. we've had a lot of conversations. We have, responded to what you needed and all right. that kind of stuff. And like, you can't give me the decency of just saying no. Right. <laughs> because now exactly. you, uh, you, you're an open box in my world. You right. are something that we're wondering, should we do this? Should we reach out? Right. Should we not reach out? Like, give me that energy back by just giving me clarity that, Hey, nope, we want right. someone else or we don't need that. Great. I can move on. Right. right. And I uh, always appreciate when people tell me, Hey, we're talking to multiple agencies. I'm yes. like, great. You should. Like you yes. should talk. I talk to multiple people when I hire, you know, make hires for the first time. So of course you should. We expect you to talk to multiple agencies. That is an expectation we have, and that's not a bad thing. So, mm, but I yeah, love it. that's probably my biggest pet peeve. Well, I have two thoughts. One, I just looked up and realized it's two o five, and you have thirty three yeah. meetings this weekend or this weekend. <laughs> so I want to be very cognizant of your time. Two is, holy shit, Emma, you are so good at this. Like, I either need to get you on here more often or you need your own podcast because you have just such a brilliant business brain. And I think it's why we've connected already is uh, you're just building something special there. And I'm so excited for this episode to be released and for people to really hear your wisdom and your your encouragement. So thank you for making time in the middle of this crazy ass week to be with us. Thank you so much. And if someone's listening that has an event or a need for you, is it enough for them to Google PullSpark or where would you send them? PullSpark.com. We just redid our website. Thanks to MarketWake. Good friends over there. So yeah, just reach out on the website. Heck yeah. Awesome, friend. Well, thank you again for being here. Thanks. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. 
Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.